Hello Facebookers! <laughs> Welcome to episode number four of Health Hackers. My name is Gemma Evans. I'm a television journalist and presenter here in the UK and this is my series just for Facebook. It's devoted to meeting some of the most influential and inspiring figures in health and wellness right now and my special guest today is Rhiannon Lambert. Hello. <laughs> Rhiannon is a nutritionist. She works in Harley Street. She's got a lot of high profile clients on her list and she's also an eating disorder specialist and an author. Here's the book. <laughs> um, if you have any questions for Rhiannon, stay with us because she is all ours for the next 30 minutes or so. I am. She's going to be answering any of your questions. I'm going to be looking down a lot because I've got my laptop here so I can see what comments you're writing and the questions that you're asking and I can try and put as many as possible to Rhiannon. Now, if you can hear us loud and clear, can you click the like button? Because I need to check that you can definitely hear all the amazing information that Rhiannon's going to give us. And I also have to say one more thing before we start talking to Rhiannon. If you have a medical condition, we advise you to make your own decisions with a medical professional. This chat we're going to have is just for informational purposes only. Okay? Yes. So uh, let's get chatting. I want to know from Rhiannon a little bit more about her background because I read in the book that you have a very unique background, don't you? Yeah, it, it's not your usual route um, into nutrition at all. I'm actually a classical soprano. That's my, um, yeah, I'm a singer. That's the background. So at school, I honestly neglected all kinds of sciences because I wasn't the most academic. I had a natural ability to sing. I don't know where it came from. Definitely not from my parents, bless them. Um, but I focused on the music and actually getting into the music industry at such a young age. I left home when I was about 16 wow. and I came to London when I was 17 and I started working as a professional singer, working with record companies and I thought it was the dream and I was like, yes, you know, I've made it, I'm going to do this and it could not be further from the truth. It was pretty eye-opening, I was exposed to a kind of poor relationship with myself and what I ate, I believe that to be successful, I had to live off diet products because that's what people did, mm -hmm. right? Like you'd read a magazine and people tell you to go on this calorie diet and I honestly kind of bought into it. Because calorie counting was so big in those yeah. days, you know? Oh and my God, it was yeah. massive. I had the app, I had everything. I was counting and living my life by numbers and honestly doing the nutrition degree, I, I didn't know what to study once the music wasn't working out. The only other thing I loved was food. And doing that, it kind of saved, it did save me. I noticed that in the book, and I had a great time reading it. Oh, I'm so pleased. You talk, you talk about this pressure to look a certain way. Yeah. What do you think were some of the biggest mistakes you were making? The first big mistake was comparing myself to other people and images in the media. Because even though there was no Instagram back then, or even... I think Facebook was just there at that point in time, mm. and Twitter. I was looking at magazines and thinking that to be the next, even Soprano, I needed to look like someone else that was famous at the time. The biggest thing would have been the food. I was living off um, certain weight loss products that were heavily marketed, skipping meals and just having bars. Oh, what, yeah. like replacement bars? Yeah, I was replacing mm. meals with bars and having those um, low-calorie jellies. Yeah, I remember yeah. Living off all that junk. And because I wasn't nourishing my body, the worst mistake I made was not giving my body any fuel because I wasn't getting any energy in. So how could I sing well? So my voice started to suffer because I really? had no... your voice. 
it really impacts mm. your body. And something I can relate to now is eating well isn't just about how you look, it's about your mind, it's about your health, it's about your energy levels. And because I wasn't nourishing it or performing well, I went, I went to the doctors back then, I remember this so clearly. And I said, I need help, I feel really low, mm. I don't know what's happening to me. And instead of looking at what I was doing, the doctor just put me on antidepressants and said, off you go. I was so young, guys, to be on antidepressants. Wow, so, what, 16? Well, no, back then I was 17 when okay. I was on those. And and I took them. And I'm... now when you're, when you're in your clinic mm. in Harley Street and you're seeing different people come in and they're seeking help too, what are the biggest mistakes they're making with their weight loss? I think it's believing that one size fits all. So if they see somebody doing a certain diet that is working for them, it's the misconception that that's what everybody needs to mm. do. Oh, really? Because there are so many. Yeah. Some are a bit fatty and then some sound sensible. Yeah. yeah. So you kind of jump on the bandwagon of how someone thin is doing. Yeah, of course. I mean, we buy into it naturally. And I think that's one of the things in my book, Renourished, that I've really tried to get across is that it's not one size fits all. If you're a health professional and you care about your clients, you will do what's best for them. And everybody is completely unique. And if you can understand nutrition, it can empower you to make choices. Just on that point about mm. health professionals, if yeah. somebody watching this now is thinking of signing up with a nutritionist, how, how will they know who a good one is? Such a good question, Gemma, because everybody seems to be calling themselves a nutritionist these days unfortunately it's not a protected title so you need to check the qualifications look for the degree if someone has at least three years a degree studying nutrition they will have a good grounding and they can be regulated with governing boards like the british dietetic association or the association for nutrition check their qualifications i want to get back into the book yes because there's so much in there um, you talk about the sad step. Tell us what the sad step is. The scales. I mean, that's one of the things I used to do and one of the things my clients do. If, you're, if this relates to you out there, there is another way. If you wake up every morning and you step on the scales and that dictates if you're going to feel good for the rest of the day or bad and change how you eat, it's got to go. Because weight as a number is not an accurate measure of health. Um, it's, it's definitely not you. Know, you can have a rugby player, for instance, will have an overweight BMI. When they're not overweight, it's just their muscle mass. Yeah, yeah. And then as women, it's very different to men. So we might be retaining water, which means the number on the scales is incorrect. And how can one number be the same on every different scale? Basically, lose the scales, ditch them. They are not a measurement of health or progress anymore. Okay, let's start answering some questions because okay. there are so many coming in for you. Amazing. Um, Rob wants to know um, what you think about these uh, meal replacement powders that claim to be nutritionally complete food because yeah. Rob says um, he thought our bodies had evolved to eat solids, so is it safe to use these rather than eating a balanced diet? I think that's a really, really good point. I think if you're a really busy person in a rush on the go, sometimes they're an option. But for the bulk of us, I would say don't go near them. Often they don't give you enough nutrition that you need. They lack the fiber. And Rob makes a good point there. If you're not chewing your food, you're not creating start of the digestive process. So you're not eating mindfully. And that may cause more bloating, stomach discomfort, because you're not actually engaging in the process as humans were meant to. And then you may not feel as full or satisfied from your meal because you're not sending off those different biological signals just from chewing your food. So can mindful eating, like really thinking oh, about what we're eating, help yeah. us feel fuller? Honestly, there's a whole chapter in the book, A Renourish on Mindful Eating, because if you look at the food, 
Do we ever stop on our lunch break these days to actually look and enjoy what we're doing? Or are we typing away and multitasking and eating our food? Yeah, yeah, all of those. Yeah, and it can really affect how we feel, how full we are. The signals that tell you when you're hungry and you're full start when you just look at the item of food. That's when the, the enzymes in your mouth get created for that food. When you want it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whereas if you're just drinking it and you're not looking at what you're even drinking... Mm. Yeah, I would, and also they're full of extra stuff sometimes, extra sugar you don't need. Yeah, I, so I noticed one thing in the sugars. Um, yeah. So in the book, so it's very, very low sugar, but you do use honey yes. as a sweetener. Does yeah. that have less of an effect on blood glucose levels, or, or why do you choose to allow honey but not sugar? Well, there's some, there's small ones with sugar, but I think honey is generally an option that sometimes for people it can taste better, and it does have a slightly slower effect in the body, not massively. Sugar is still sugar, guys. But I just think honey tastes better, if I'm being completely honest. I prefer the taste of the honey. Well, we like it. We like your honesty. You know? It's very real. <laughs> sugar is sugar. Remember that. That's the thing. If we're talking about a, a perfect meal, a perfect plate, and I know it's very yes. hard to simplify, but how would you kind of break down what a plate should look like in terms of this section, protein, this carb? Or... Yes. Now, of course, you are all different, and it depends what you've done that day as to how much you should have. But generally, I go by hand sizes. So a Outstretched palm would be a piece of protein. That could be, yeah, could be a fish fillet, or it could be some tofu, edamame beans, a bit of chicken, and then two outstretched palms of veg. Okay. So vegetables take up the bulk of your plate, guys. So you've got your veg, outstretched palm of protein, just a cup of carbohydrates, so a, hand, a handful there of some rice or some so sweet potatoes. And then if you're still hungry after that, what do you do? Um, after that, if you're still hungry, I would have a little bit more protein or a little bit more veg. More veg? Yeah. Until, you, until you fill up? Yeah, pretty much. And remember your healthy fats, a drizzle of olive oil. Yeah, the, there's, mm, there's still need this it. idea in, in some quarters, I find, where people still believe that we should be following this really, really low-fat diet. I know. Why is that a mistake? I think any diet that's low-fat, low-carb, high-protein, high-carb, low-fat, they all do the same thing. It's overall energy intake that achieves the end result. It's just what works for you that you can stick at, really. But going low-fat is dangerous because you need fat to help the absorption of vegetables. So without fat with some veg, you can't absorb vitamins A, D, E, and K because they're fat-soluble vitamins. So you lack nutrition. You won't be satisfied also, you need fats for other purposes in the body, like cellular health. Your, your brain is made mainly of fat. Mm, to yeah. think clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Liz would like to know what she should eat to boost her immune system at this time of year. Okay. So, this is the time of year where I, I got poorly last week as well. And I never normally get sick, but there's something going around. And I always try and tell myself... Aim for colour. Even if you lose your appetite, you need a colourful, rich diet. There is no magic cure, but having some things like ginger can be quite helpful. It, it is known for its benefits with boosting immune system. However, it depends how much you have. Garlic, again, is meant to be quite good, but I wouldn't advise eating raw garlic cloves or anything like that. I'm not sure that's... Um, I don't think you'd have many friends no. if you went around... Breathing on everyone. Can you imagine if you turned up today and I'd be eating more garlic? Yeah. Hi. <laughs> but I also like, this is a bit off the rail and it's not from my nutritional background, but I love echinacea. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a bit fine. of natural help when you're run down, but lots of um, hydration, fluids. Really? Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, Chloe would like to know what your thoughts are on 
if there's a right or wrong time to eat because she says that she has a constant debate with her housemates uh, <laughs> because they say that it's bad to eat after 7.30 oh. and that you shouldn't go to bed within two hours of eating. What, where do you stand on that? There is no rule. I think this is the thing that gets thrown about a lot in the media and it's also old wives' tales, isn't it? So yeah. you may grow up in a certain culture where you, some cultures they eat at 10pm. Others they eat at six. Well, that makes me feel better because sometimes if I've been filming all day, I get home really late. And I try yeah. to be good and I try to cook something, yeah, yeah, yeah. but then like once it's cooked, I know. it's nearly the middle of the night. So don't worry yourself. Um, seven third, there is no time, there is no cutoff. It is what works for you. However, maybe think about the type of meal you're having if it is quite late in the evening and you don't want to feel it sitting in your stomach when mm. you go to bed. And, yeah, discomfort. Yeah, you've got to really think about what works for you, but you're not going to suddenly pile on pounds if you eat after six or after seven. It's the overall day, not just a time window. Now, we have another question. This one is Great. about rice. Ah. Uh, Eve would like to know about the conflicting reports over rice. Uh, some experts saying that brown is more nutritious, but that uh, white rice uh, doesn't have the, the phytates and lectins or fewer uh, than brown rice. So what's the truth and, and is white better than brown rice? So there is no one better option However, it depends again what you're using it for. So I'll use an example of the athletes I work with, or even myself. If I want something that's going to keep me fuller for longer, keep me satisfied, I will go for the brown whole grain option because it's giving me lots of fiber which slows the release of the natural sugars into the bloodstream. However, if I have just been to the gym and I need energy quickly, I will have my white rice afterwards. And I would say the same to an athlete, you have your white rice afterwards. And if you're feeling poorly, mm and run down, white rice is the best thing because it's going to give you that energy. So you know they say when you've got a, you've got a stomach bug, yeah. have what's called the brat diet. If you ever Google it, B-R-A-T, one of the R stands for rice because it's just so easy to break down and if you struggle with maybe Crohn's or some digestive discomfort, then white rice is quite good. So I think it depends on you, but ultimately have whole grains most of the time because it's just gonna keep you fuller. And whole grains, you'd advise someone um, who came to see you, even if they were diabetic, to still stick with whole grains? Because we hear a lot about uh, diabetics benefiting from really low-carb diets. Yeah, it depends if it's type 1 or type 2 diabetes, first of all. So um, everybody is unique. If you're type 1 and you're injecting with insulin, you need to be aware of hypos. You do actually need the sugars in your diet, and that may vary. It depends on activity levels, again, because that impacts the amount of sugar you need. But for type 2 diabetes... Um, for the bulk of people, they do need to be aware of their sugar intake, even natural sugars from things like fruit and carbohydrates. Mm. And I would keep them, generally speaking, I would have them, but not go overboard. We're getting so many questions. Facebookers, oh, <laughs> thank you for your questions. Keep putting them down. If you've just joined us, I'm with the lovely Rhiannon Lambert. She's Hi. a nutritionist <laughs> and she's also the author of Renourish. And we're going to move on to some questions um, specifically relating to women. But men, stay there. We're coming, coming back to you shortly. Yes. Uh, Rosie would like to know um, your tips for pregnancy because she's finding it really tough to eat well because of nausea. Oh, bless her. So when you have pregnant clients, is there something that you advise? I mean, how do you help them with that? And she's also said yeah. she's finding it hard to swallow her vitamins. Oh, no. Is it Rosie? Oh, bless yeah. you. Um, it's really difficult in pregnancy because um, every pregnancy, again, is so different. And you may find your nausea is at the beginning or it's in the third trimester. It, it can really, really vary. What I tend to say is having something like a little bit of oats or an oat biscuit 
can ease nausea a little bit, but you need to be eating little and often because your stomach, imagine all your organs are being compressed and squashed up with the baby now. How far gone is she? Did we have that? She doesn't say, um, but she's still, she's obviously in the nauseous stage, yeah. so it's probably quite early on. And sip your fluids rather than drinking them too quickly. Sleep can help. Getting off technology actually is quite good. So when you're eating, I would play music in the background, something that you like to relax you. That's a good idea. Yeah, and then eat the meal. Don't look at your phone or the TV, things that can enhance the nausea. And in terms of food items to eat, I would keep it pretty plain. If you're feeling a bit poorly and a, yeah, a bit nauseous, well, I would, would you be bringing the white rice out then? Yeah, I probably would. Yeah, you need energy because you are pregnant, and you—it's—it's it's a myth that you eat for two when you're pregnant. That's a complete myth. It's still just eating for one, but you need food. Do the nutrient needs for the mother change depending on what trimester she's in? Yeah, in terms of energy, especially, I think it's, but it's not much. It's only like a hundred calories extra in the third trimester. It's, it's not much. It may be up to two hundred. Don't quote me on that one, but it's definitely a little bit more. And in terms of the vitamins and minerals, you do need your multivitamin there with the folic acid. So, if you can't swallow it, I would cut it in half, or you can now get um, different kind of liquid shots that you can mix into things that might speak with your GP and see if they can help there. A bit easier to taste. Mm. Do you think women need a different type of diet in general? I mean, I don't just mean the portion size, because obviously I think men eat more than women. Yeah. Although I eat a lot. <laughs> I know, um, I could match my boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, but do you think that they need more fats or less fats, or is there anywhere where they differ to men? Women are different to men. Just throwing it out there. We are completely and utterly different from our hormonal influences in our body to our muscle mass. We do not have the same muscle mass capacity as a man. Um, and therefore, our dietary needs are a bit different. We do not need as much food. And whilst everyone's different, some men may thrive off having a higher protein, carbohydrate-based diet, and women may need less. But again, that's very variant on your culture, your DNA, because all these things and your epigenetics, what you do mm. every day, you know, are you walking around? Do you get sunlight? Do you get mm. enough vitamin D? All these different things interact. But mm. men and women are different. Do not think a diet for a man is going to work for a woman. Uh, Natalia's got a question about weight loss, but she's got um, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm -hmm. And um, well, we're not giving specific advice to Natalia. When you see women who have PCOS in your clinic, um, is there any advice that you would give them, just general advice that perhaps Natalia can be inspired by? Oh, bless. Yeah, Natalia, you're really not alone, actually. It's very common, um, PCOS. There's lots and lots of women now that are coming forward and are getting diagnosed. And whilst it's not my specialist field, if I had someone in the clinic, lots of research does point towards being very wary of your carbohydrate intake with PCOS. Also, your healthy fats. So aim to have two portions of oily fish a week if you can. If you don't eat oily fish, you may need to think about supplementing with omega-3, but I can't direct that advice specifically for you, but just be aware that there's a lot of research out there, and I would urge you to see a dietitian or a nutritionist and get something that's tailored for you. And one of your specialist areas is eating disorders. Yeah. Now, do you think it's ever... I mean, how easy is it to drop that mindset of restrictive eating? Because it, it's not easy. It's like a trap. So For some people. It is a trap. With eating disorders, it's being aware that it's not the person. It's, it's First of all, it's a mental illness. It's one of the most severe mental illnesses out there. Only 30% of anorexia, of anorexia um, 
survive, it's very low. The rate, um, the waiting list on the NHS now is about three years, it's massive. So it's on the rise and you need the support. It's like having another person in your head, another voice. Now every eating disorder is different, we're not talking about anorexia or bulimia, there's a whole spectrum of disordered eating across a very, very broad spectrum. And it's not easy, it takes time, but with the right support you can do it. It's about learning to use food in a different way, identifying your coping strategies, identifying how it's holding you back every day. And I, I do delve into the book a lot on how to deal with disordered eating thoughts mm. and mindsets, but you need a good team around you. I work with a doctor and a psychologist and I do the nutrition and we've got this mm. nice circle. But I urge anyone out there with an eating disorder to not be scared to seek help. I guess food shaming. Oh. is another trend which yeah. doesn't really help. It's so how, unhelpful. How do you get around that with your clients? We discuss the very basics that food is essential for life. Now, I think a lot of us in our life, I used to do it, look at food and think, what can I take out of my diet? Mm. Rather than focusing on all the good stuff I can chuck in, it honestly, mm. I find that we're always telling ourselves we have to restrict or carbs are bad for us. Whereas actually our bodies are naturally adapted to eat these things. It's just the portion size that works for you. And focusing on yourself and your journey and your goals is so helpful. Unfollow people on social media that are making you feel really? miserable. Yeah, and don't buy those magazines if they're constantly shaming food groups. Yeah, I mean, God, there would be so many people that you would have to unfollow. There would, actually, yeah. It's out there a lot. When I say yeah. that, maybe just with a pinch of salt when you read the post, because it's not true, and people want to make money, or they want to get attention from something, and food is a very easy thing, because we all love it, to draw attention mm. to. Have you got any tips for kind of elevating your own self-esteem and just feeling like you are enough and when you sit down to eat your meal to just think no, I'm going to enjoy this there might be yeah. some heavy calories here <laughs> there might be a lot a lot more than I would normally eat but I'm going to enjoy this do you have any tips for that kind of mindfulness definitely I think mindful eating is a big thing and also enjoying nourishment and remembering you are enough sometimes having gratitude tests every day so remembering five things at the end of each day or the beginning whatever works for you Think about what you feel grateful for today. Is it that you've got a family member that really loves you? You feel grateful for even having the ability to walk from A to B. Mm. Really small things that you can really, really cling on to every day. Surrounding yourself with the right people, the positive people. We'll keep talking. So we when just had a little yeah. message there, people saying that there was a problem with the Wi-Fi, but we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going because when you look at your plate, you've got to start looking at it as what is this giving me? What is this food giving my body? It is nourishing my brain, my hair, my skin, my nails. It's giving me something fabulous. Food is there to be enjoyed. And there is a difficulty of getting a balance, but it's so possible. I mean, we and you're so positive, so this is yeah. great. Watch <laughs> this Facebook Live back when you're about to eat and you feel yeah, guilty about it. Yeah, definitely. And, and have a read of the book and just remember that it is there to be enjoyed. And we've all got this thing called a vagus nerve, which runs from your... Imagine a nerve running down your body. Mm -hmm. Whenever you feel nervous or stressed or anxious, that's what affects your stomach. and Your stomach's like a second brain. So the minute you can be excited about food rather than dreading it, that's going to change the relationship you have with it too and that, that reaction with your nerve. I guess that'll help you digest it better as 100%, well. 100%, because the blood flow isn't going to be drawn away from your stomach because you're panicked. It's going to go to it.
Excellent. Uh, Craig asks, uh, he's, a, he's heard that you shouldn't drink when eating. Is this true? And if so, why? Okay, um, again, that's a bit of a myth. You can drink water and things when, when you're eating your food, but it might, for some people it might fill you up. You know, if you're, if you're drinking water mm. at the same time as the food. But I think he means there's myths around nutrient absorption when you're mm. having water in your stomach at the same time. And I guess diluting digestive enzymes, does that happen? Not really, it's yeah. not a thing. Yeah, this again is one of those myths. It's a myth? That, yeah, it cycles yeah. around. Um, scientifically speaking, it's fine. You know, hydration's good and having water with your food is, isn't going to harm it. But I wouldn't really advise having fizzy drinks. That's something mm. I wouldn't go near, really. Okay, let's move on to exercise. Okay. Uh, Rich would like to know, what foods would you recommend for pre and post exercise? He's yes. asking with squash in mind. He's a squash Ooh. player. So he's looking for fuel that's for a kind of high intensity session, but with a bit of stamina and endurance mixed in there. That is a hardcore sport. Squash is exhausting. <laughs> and so I work with a lot of different sports people from all sorts of things, from football, even to snooker, that's like the two ends of the table there that you could get. Mm. But what you need to be looking at is two to three hours before you work out, you need to build up something called glycogen stores. So that's your natural carbohydrate ready to be released. And you need those slow-releasing carbs two to three hours before. You need quite a lot of it, actually. You need a pretty carb-heavy meal before you play your squash. And then within, I'd say, an hour afterwards, you need to get in a handful of maybe the white carbs, like I discussed earlier, and protein together. That would be the dream. So what would what could that look like, his so, post-workout snack? Post-workout snack, for me, would probably be some, yeah, rice and beans or something really simple that you've got at home. Could even be like oat cakes or rice cakes mm -hmm. with some nut butter if, if you don't have time for a proper meal. But I tend to advise having your meal afterwards. And if you're having a quick snack, if you don't have time to do the two to three hours before, yeah. fruit and yogurt maybe an hour before is quite fast releasing in your body. There's a lot of energy there that's really good. And how would you tailor that if you were going to go to the gym and do weights, for example, instead of a squash game? You wouldn't need as much carbohydrate before, but you still need it. So I would have a normal amount rather than having a larger portion. And the, the quantity is dictated on your height and your weight, so it can vary from person to mm. person. But I would just say have a normal, healthy snack. Maybe a banana to give you a bit of energy before you go to the gym. Banana with nut butter is good. Okay. Yeah. I well, love that. I remember, like, years ago, like when, when I first started going to a gym, mm. this is, like, early noughties, 2000 maybe, <laughs> and it was still that kind of calorie-counting oh, era. And I remember yeah. thinking, like, oh, I'm going to the gym, so I better have a massive meal yeah. because yeah, yeah. I need the energy. And I was probably eating for, for like, three people. <laughs> and then going to the gym and doing a bit of cardio and thinking, yeah, I really, yeah, really burnt off that, <laughs> that meal. And it's a complete... Like you can't outrun your diet. Yeah, you know. but do you still get people who come into your clinic oh, yeah. and think that they can eat what they like as long as they go for a run? The most upsetting bit is the people I have coming in doing boot camps every single day because they want to lose weight. Right. And they're not losing it because A, they're over-exercising, mm. then overeating to exercise. You shouldn't really be increasing the quantity drastically if you're not doing anything really strenuous. This has been so fascinating, it and I'm just—I'm watching all your questions still coming in. Yeah. I'm so sorry if we haven't had time to answer oh. all of them. I do just want to talk to Rhiannon about one last little issue before we say goodbye. Okay. Um, and that is the health and fitness industry. Mm. So it's obviously a really competitive place, and I found that previous guests on Health Hackers 
um, have talked about how there's so much research and things keep changing all the time yeah. and they have to keep updating things constantly. But I know that Professor Tim Spector, who you mm -hmm. know, I have previously on. I mean, he was even comparing the diet industry to religion because it's so divisive. Yeah. Have you found any areas of it to be hostile? Or oh yeah. Is that is that a challenge? No, it is. Um, even I find myself drawn into comparing myself to other people, looking at what people are up to. And, the fitness industry has a very long way to go because they're very number focused. To be a personal trainer, there's a lot of pressure on people. I've got lots of friends that are PTs and they believe they have to be ridiculously lean and ripped to even be allowed to be a PT. Such pressure, yeah. Which is wrong because you can't be healthy at any size. So I agree with Tim in the fact that it is a little bit like a religion. You have to be following the certain trend or following eating the certain things that are being hashtagged and it's a dangerous place and nutrition is evolving and lots of PTs are not, in fact, no PTs are given enough nutritional education to give advice on diet, yet they all give mm -hmm. diet plans, so be very careful. That's really interesting. Yeah, they don't Because I know, know a lot of doctors say, you know, we didn't get nutrition They get education. 20 hours. And then PTs yeah. are the same and they're writing plans. They get less, PTs get less. Gosh, that's quite interesting. It is very scary. And Again, I guess it goes back to when you're choosing a nutritionist mm -hmm. or a PT to see who knows who knows their stuff. Of course. Yeah. You have to be really careful, guys. I would never dream of pretending to be that I could train you in a gym. I'm not a personal trainer. And I wouldn't prescribe medicine because I'm not a doctor. Mm -hmm. So you've got to think, why are these people prescribing diets when they don't know how the body works in that way? But we know that there are some brilliant PTs. There out are there. good ones. And some out are there. trained in nutrition too. Yeah. Just do your research. Just, yeah, definitely. Um, and that reminds me that if we discuss anything today that you want to go and take away and progress with, that's wonderful. But if you have a medical condition, then please seek help from yeah. a professional. Yeah. And if you want to see the next episode of Health Hackers, that'll be episode five, then hit like on my page and then you can get a notification when we go live again. Please. Rhiannon, where can people find you? Well, um, so the book at the moment, if you need help with your nutrition, it's 50% nutrition, 50% recipes in the back. So it's like your nutrition Bible. That's on Amazon and Waterstones and WH Smith. But if you want to contact me on social media, it's Retrition, which is R-H-I-T-R-I-T-I-O-N, T-I-O-N. Retrition on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Thank you, Facebookers. I'm going to lean in and press finish. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. Bye.